Hey guys, welcome to Main Suite. Come on in and grab uh, some coffee or uh, some water, something to eat over there at the table. We're going to get going with our call to gather, which is a song called Will You. We've done a few times in the past. We're talking about uh, family and community, missionality tonight, and uh, our focus tonight is how we are more tangibly with each other in community what it means to be together in uh, places that are good and also challenging. So this song asks a lot of questions of, will you be there with me? Will you care for me? Will you be there in those times that are tough, times that are good as well? And a uh, fairly repetitive melody, and so I'd love to have you sing along.
Will you feel with me the feelings that I feel? Will you help me tell what's not, what is real? Will you be the one to save me from my fear? Will you save, save me? Well, good evening and welcome to Emmaus Way. Wade, it's great to have uh, such an orchestra with us tonight. This is wonderful to have you, Krista, with us and to have Dr. Holly hanging out with us. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more, which will be phenomenal. Dale, it's always good to see you uh, with us as well. Appreciate having you all here. Uh, my name is Dan Rhodes, and I'm one of the ministers here at Emmaus Way. I want to welcome you. Uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, we at Emmaus Way are a community of folks who gather around the text to listen for God's voice and to hear each other speak and to read and interpret that text, to uh, speak to one another and listen to one another through things like art and uh, the role of art in our culture or, or in our uh, community and kind of hear God's voice and, uh, in those things and the way that we interpret them together. Um, we're a group of people who have been deeply captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's working in our lives and in our community together, but also seeing the way in which it's at work in the world around us, to see how it's at work uh, in this location in Durham um, and also uh, in places where we might connect with where it is going on globally. Um, if you want to find out some more information about the church, if you'd like to meet with one of the ministers, either myself, Amy, Tim, or Wade, uh, there's a yellow card that's out here in the foyer as you're up walking around getting a snack or coffee. Um, if you want to spend time in the prayer space back here in the corner, there's some uh, space for you to meditate and pray if you uh, want to do that. Uh, there's yellow cards out here that you can just uh, grab, fill out. It'll give you a couple boxes to check if you don't want to connect with us and we'll get in contact with you. Um, there's also a number of other ways to connect here at Mayus Way. We have a number of small groups that meet throughout the week. Um, if you're interested in connecting with one of those small groups, uh, the person who kind of coordinates that for us is Elizabeth Eford. And on the top of your sheet... Uh, it gives you our email, or not our email, our, uh, our website, and if you go on our website, you can find Elizabeth Eford's email and shoot her an email and say, I'm interested in a small group, if you have anything around me, uh, and she can fill you in on what days of the week they meet. We also have a kind of come, if you want to, a pub group that meets down at Bull McCabe's just off of Main Street on Thursday evenings. We usually gather at about 8.15 uh, around that time. If you're interested in pub group, we 
uh, we'll send out a reading. I'll actually send out a reading throughout the week. So if you want to shoot me an email or just catch me here tonight, I'll add you to the email list, um, and we'd love to have you join us. Um, a couple of announcements coming up. Uh, the 30th of September, uh, we have our Ecclesia meeting, which is kind of our routine quarterly meeting for those of us. Uh, of you that call this congregation your home where we meet and discuss the business of the church and uh, kind of ask questions, get feedback, different stuff like that. So just a reminder that that will be coming up at the end of the month, uh, September 30th. Um, also have a quick update. Uh, some of us were able to att uh, attend a Durham Can Metro Caucus this week, um, and there were some significant things. There's a lot of work that's been going on in Durham Can, um, and I'll point to Tim and Dave if they want to jump in on this. Cut me off if, I, if there's something I miss, but... Um, Durham Can is a local political grassroots organization that our congregation is involved in, and we, they work on several different things. Um, they've had a number of initiatives going on through the last, uh, I guess, pretty much the last year, almost a year and a half. Um, and we've had the Metro Caucus that we had this last Thursday is basically a report where we find out from all the little teams that are working on different projects uh, throughout the community what's been going on. And so. Uh, basically, through our participation in that, we've seen some significant um, changes and successes in regard in education, for, especially for Latino community and for um, ESL community, uh, with adding new staff and uh, different things like that. There have been some significant successes for the elderly in our, uh, in our city. Um, and some more work going on around that and transportation issues. Also, some very big victories for rapid rehousing. Uh, where we were able to win extra, well, funding that we were losing from the federal government, we were able to win with local uh, support uh, to set up, well, Durham has kind of a state-of-the-art program for rapid rehousing, which takes people that fall, fall into homelessness, uh, puts them in contact with the many cluster of uh, NGOs, nonprofits that help people get back into housing, um, and we were able to resupport that program, which is actually nationally renowned. Um, so a lot of great stuff. There's still a lot of ongoing work on foreclosure. Um, what else am I leaving out, guys? So is there one more? Yeah, so there are a couple other things that are coming up. We've got a couple actions that are coming up the latter part of October, one of which will be a kind of souls to the polls, which will be a Sunday afternoon kind of gathering downtown and, and a kind of a march to a pre-early voting. Um, once again... Uh, Durham Can's nonpartisan, so it's just to get people out to vote. Um, it's not to say you must vote for this person or that person. It's just to get people out to the polls. And then we're actually going to have a statewide delegates assembly uh, the 30th, 30th of October? Am I, 20th, 20th of October um, in Winston-Salem. Um, and we've actually said that we'll bring 10 people to that. So it'll be a big kind of statewide. There'll be about 1,000 people there from other affiliations uh, like Durham can in their local cities, and we'll be meeting with hopefully the gubernatorial candidates, a lot of the state representatives that are going into the General Assembly, um, even some local folks as well. So there'll be a lot going on there and possibly a meeting uh, or a report uh, with some stuff that we've got going on with Bank of America and foreclosure. So there's a lot going on in that uh, arena right now. If you're interested, once again, you can see me about getting involved with that. Um, Two quick things on that. One is uh, on the souls of the polls, one of the, the real important part of that is to demonstrate the number of voters that Durham Can is connected with. So it'll be like a march from First Presbyterian to uh, to the polls here. And you know, some of you, I don't know how your Tuesday is going to work, but it is. I've had 
presidential elections where I waited a couple of hours. So that might be a, a great way to vote on that Sunday without having to wait in line on Tuesday. But again, it's a very, media will be there. It's a very visual thing of how many people in faith-based communities care about the election. So that's a big, big deal. And they, they did invite Obama and Romney both to the, uh, yeah, to the delegate true. association. We'll see. We'll see. And, and once again, we pledged eight people, I think, to the souls of the polls. So uh, if we have more than that, that's fantastic, too. But uh, we did pledge eight people. Uh, I want to say a real quick thank you to Sarah and Brett for doing the setup uh, this evening and to Gail for stepping in and doing some what looked to be absolutely wonderful snacks. It's almost, uh, I think, Greco-Roman over there a little bit. Um, <laughs> So thank you very much for stepping up on that, and uh, once again, welcome to Emmaus Way. Please feel free as we're singing and as we're gathering to get up, to get a snack, to get coffee if you want, to once again remind you that there's prayer space in the back if you uh, are uh, wanting to meditate or spend some time uh, there. Uh, thanks, Wade. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, um, you can, uh, well, I wanted to let Tim uh, Holly talk a little bit about, too. He's got a concert coming up in a couple weeks. you want to mention that real quick? Um, on September 29th. Uh, at 7 p.m. It's a Saturday evening uh, at NC Central University. I'll be, I'll be presenting the first of three performances of solo cello music of African-American composers. Um, it just so happens somehow, and I guess this is just a play on words, um, and it's directed at you, Tim Condor. Yo-Yo Ma is going to be in Chapel Hill the 30th and October 1st, so I'm getting my stuff out of the way first. <laughs> but uh, the concerts are free and open to the public. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, and we'll put that in the weekly. You sent me the announcement, so I'll get that in there so people can, can find you. And uh, Krista, it's Crystal Wells Music, right? How they can find Dot com, right, right. So they, uh, you want to grab Krista's music, it's a great place to also just hear updates on life and meanderings and new songs and... Um, and one thing, too, I wanted to mention, uh, Kenny, Kenneth Askew, who's been helping set up um, with me, uh, he wanted to remind folks that if you have odd jobs around the house, as fall's coming on, as leaves need to be raked or whatever, he's glad to do that. Um, and then he asked us if we would pray for his daughter. His daughter was in a pretty bad car wreck this weekend, and um, sorry, past weekend. And uh, she broke a hip and had to have screws put in her spine. And uh, she was also at fault, so she's probably going to end up doing some prison time for the wreck. So anyway, he just asked if we would pray for uh, his family. And uh, he spent a good bit of time this week at the, the Duke Hospital. And if you've spent days on end at a hospital, you know how much fun that can be. So I told him we would certainly pray for him. Well, that really in some ways brings us, I think, to our next song. Uh, Tracy Chapman, when she was living on the street uh, before she had a record deal, came up with these lyrics um, talking really, I think, about the new heaven and the new earth, the kingdom of God that's really coming. But she writes it from the standpoint of the poor, which a lot of times we don't have that happen in our church music. And uh, so I, I'm uh, grateful for this song. And then we'll move into another kingdom song of Christus, and I'll let you talk about that in a second. But uh, join us on uh, Talking About a Revolution. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution that sounds like a whisper? Don't you know we're talking about a revolution that sounds like a whisper? While we're standing in the welfare lines, crying 
doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment line Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know we're talking about a revolution Sounds like a whisper More people gonna rise up and get their share Poor people gonna rise up, take what's there. So if you don't know this one, let's start from the top. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution? Sounds like a whisper. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution? Sounds like a whisper. While we're standing in the welfare lines Crying in the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment line Sitting around, waiting for a promotion Don't you know we're talking about a revolution Sounds like a whisper Poor people gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people gonna rise up and take what's theirs. Don't you know you better run, 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 run. All of a sudden you better run.
So, Chris, I think you've told us before a little bit, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks uh, didn't get to hear you um, mention this song before. So could you r remind us sure. of the writing process? Yeah, um, I was reading several books at a time. One, one of them was called Radical, and um, it was just kind of shaking my world because, um, yeah, I live, I live in suburbia. I don't live in the city, and so there's not this natural constant reminder of people who don't have creature comforts, you know. And... Um, I just started getting very uh, agitated and restless and uh, kind of resulted in part in um, us going to Costa Rica for a few months and um, living away from here and struggling about whether we even wanted to come back. But um, I lo we love America and I love the comforts that come from being in America. I love the freedoms, but uh, I think because the American dream is out there and it's so pervasive and we have the freedom to pursue happiness, sometimes as believers we forget that we don't have to make our life about that and, um, and that maybe we should be quite uncomfortable with, with making that central in our, in our work, in our pursuits. So, um, yeah, this was just kind of my pondering on, I don't know exactly what it looks like, obviously it looks different for everybody depending on where you live, how you extend yourself and how you um, uh, expand your boundaries to be more encompassing of the rest of our world, but, um, but I did come to the conclusion that the discomfort is a good thing, the tension is a good thing, and that it's good to kind of have a bleeding heart wherever you are on the political spectrum, so yeah, it's called Kingdom Coming.
Is it time to lay our comfort down? Time to give until it hurts. Empty our cup into our brother's hand. Is this the kingdom coming? Is it time to lay our planning the uh, liturgy this uh, Tuesday morning, uh, kind of in our text group, and uh, when we heard that you were coming, that was a quick request to have that song done. Thank you. It fit perfectly. One of the things, just to to draw your attention to this, Wade, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as I was looking at the the music tonight, one of the things that I I was very set up to to see earlier this week is that, um, you know, we've been talking about relationality and and, uh, the notions of what does it mean to be in community? What does it mean to be in church? What does it mean to live missionally uh, together? And um, one of the things that we started with about four weeks ago is looking at Jesus coming incarnationally into our world and totally changing the game, truly producing revolutionary type of speech, the type of speech that probably cut his life short in terms of redefining relationship, redefining mission, redefining how we connect with each other. And tonight as I was looking at kind of the, the musical liturgy, in some way um, we, we had revolution brought to us in the, in the kind of larger theme of struggle in these first, struggling to stay with somebody, struggling to, to make sense of the world. Wade, you, uh, you kind of imposed a transgression on us tonight by reminding us of Kenny and his stories, which we've been hearing. And, you know, what a great gift that many of you have done here in allowing him to work here with us. But, but it lives a different life and a different existence. And most of us aren't thinking about jail time uh, later in the week or that sort of thing. And so in some ways, we've been talking about this idea of relationality and this kingdom, this revolutionary kingdom that Jesus talks about in the realm of struggle. How do we work to make it happen? And it's hard to see it happening around us. And tonight, we're going to work together on practices that relate to that. And then as the, as the dialogue ends and, uh, and we prepare to come to the table, the whole idea of revolution is going to be framed in the, the, the name of hope. Uh, that that this revolution is inevitable. The words of Mary as she uh, uh, recognized what was happening in her own body, uh, the the long defeat, the confession that we have that no matter how might, we might stand against the coming of God's work, it still comes. So, wait, thank you for kind of really kind of widening that conversation for us. And that might be helpful as we get into the dialogue to think about the nature of practice and struggle, which is where we're going to be tonight. And then how does hope fit into that? Do we truly believe 
believe in the end of that practice, that it matters, that, it, that, that God's kingdom does indeed come. So thank you for guys for, for bringing that up. Hey, this is the time when we typically give each other a chance to stand up, to greet the people that are around you, uh, offer them the peace of Christ. If you're around somebody that you don't know, uh, introduce yourself, get to know people. This is a great time to, to grab something if you want, and I'll call us back to begin our dialogue in uh, about two minutes. You'll notice um, the text that you have tonight has kind of been our framing text for this. It's the same one as last week, but you'll want to have that in hand as well as we gather back around. So please stand up and greet each other. Gail, your Roman feast has drawn a crowd in the back there. Very good. Didn't see any feathers back there, but I'm sure that was oversight. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, let me um, kind of rev us back into this conversation. I want to, uh, without doing massive um, with summary, let me remind us of a few things that we've talked about the last several weeks. And uh, because I'm going to ask you to do some, some thinking and imagining and, and kind of working together tonight on this. Uh, I, you know, and one of the things I always appreciate is... Um, the conversation with dialogues for us is not just now. It's really all week long. And one of the things that I, I, I hope that we do tonight is uh, it was important for us to lay out some ideas. Uh, but I don't want to live in the notion of abstraction when it comes to relationship, uh, family, community, mission. Uh, we want to live in practice. And so tonight, hopefully, we're going to make a fairly radical turn from abstraction to practice. But some of those abstractions are really important for us to remember. I just mentioned one of those, that Jesus came with a vision for a revolutionary, different type of community that cut across the grain of the society that he lived in. And in some ways, our goals are still framed by that, that in some ways the, the church is not supposed to be embedded perfectly and comfortably in the society that it exists in, but it is to create tension and to give a different vision and a different perspective. And so we started with those type of ideas. Um, last week, we looked at a text that has been really significant for this community, uh, Matthew 18, uh, that talks a lot about what does... What are the ideals of relational practice in the church, in, in the community of people who are struggling to follow God or wrestling with the idea of God, all of those things? And I want to remind you of the caption, so pull that back out. I want to remind you of a few things because sadly... Uh, as somebody who has kind of been a professional religious person all, all of my life, um, these are the areas where our greatest failures often happen. But this community that Jesus was forming was supposed to be, and if you remember last week, we talked about the difference between a space and a location. A location is a fixed entity. It might be like, to use a simple metaphor, your house. But when you think about what happens in your house, uh, the encounters, the things, then it becomes a space, so to speak. And so what's being described here is the church not as a location, but a space where things happen. And some of the things that are supposed to happen, and this is not an exclusive list, is a practice of absolutely profound humility. People who encounter each other without the mindset that I've always got it figured out. It's also a space 
place of excessive love, where practices of love go well beyond. And Jesus makes this so hard for us because it's so easy to love the people that you love already. But the challenge to love an enemy gets truly, truly uncomfortable. But that's the type of excessive love that's being imagined here. And then last week we looked at great detail, this idea of what does it mean to be redemptively honest and to live in reconciliation with each other. That ancient practice of binding and loosing. And uh, just a quick definition of that to remind you is that binding as a practice is when a community uh, engages an obligation. They, they, that, that as a part of an encounter, one leaves with an obligation. And loosing is the opposite. As a part of an encounter, we are absolved of obligation. We're absolved of responsibility. And one of the things that we're describing this life of faith is in a life where we're balancing obligation and, and the absence of obligation, where we're being bound by certain things and loosed from other things. And that's the dance of reconciliation that happens. And that's the hard part and the fun part. And if you begin to really explore that language, you'll realize that almost all that we do as a part of a community of faith fits in that category of binding and loosing. And our failures are when we are binding people when we should be loosing and just the opposite of and then continuing along that track, um, in addition to uh, this idea of church, it's a place where the presence of God is found, where we encounter God's spirit. And the encounter of God's spirit is not always the most comfortable thing in the world, but it's, it's a place where we find our place in God's story. And then also the church is a place of unlimited forgiveness, where forgiveness is pervasively given. You just You can never run out of that. I mean, all of us have probably been in a situation... I have vivid memories of 15 when I was, uh, you know, coming home uh, in, 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 in less than a good state from a party or uh, an event or uh, gotten in a fight on the soccer field or all the kind of things that I used to do as a 15-year-old. And I always had in my mind, like, what is my credit card right now uh, with my parents? I mean, at what point am I over my limit? At what point are they going to say to me, you are not worthy of being forgiven? And I used to calculate that often on the way home. And the church stands as a place where that kind of mathematics doesn't work. There isn't a limit to the kind of forgiveness that we experience. So remember those broad themes. I use the word abstraction, but that's probably the wrong word because these are things, these are principles that speak profoundly to life. And tonight what I want to do is begin to kind of help these principles speak profoundly to life. And I'm going to get us to kind of some ideas of, of things that might help us. But here's where I want to start tonight is... If you're willing to do this, um, throw out some questions of what you think are the most challenging, frustrating, important, or significant types of relational questions that you face in living your life or that you sense people that you know or people that you love or people that you're around face? What are, the, what are the relational dilemmas that we face? Because I want to connect these practices to our specific questions. So let me throw the floor to you now. And just if you would, tell me what are some of the challenges that we face relationally, both inside the church or engaging the world uh, in, in any place or space in our life? Like, like we talk 
we have a word that we use to talk about this all the time that I don't remember just now, but this sense of authentic community. Yeah. That, you know, the, the challenge of not being with ourselves who we actually are and being honest with about who I am and what my values are and what I'm really about and what I see in your life and who I presume you to really be and having those difficult conversations that cut under the surface of what we'd like to imagine ourselves. Right. A lot of you live and work in environments, whether you're under the tenure clock or you're just starting out in the lab or you're out at RTP or you're running a business where vulnerability is not the most important thing to do. In fact, it might be the very thing that keeps you from being uh, what you need to be professionally. And I'm not critiquing that just to say that the kind of honesty that might be described in these principles like profound humility and binding and loosing is very countercultural in and of itself. Absolutely. What are other? Yes, Gail. Well, I think when you talk about profound humility and self-sacrifice and service, there's the, the drawback is there's people who are going to take advantage of you. And is that okay? Are you willing to let people take advantage of you? Are you willing to let people walk all over you? Is that what you're supposed to do? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So you, you set yourself as, as, a, as a person who's not going to Right. And, and to some might call that weakness. And therefore, the question remains, how weak are we willing to be? When Jesus says, walk the extra mile or turn another cheek, I mean, how many times do you do that? Um, I've said this many times as a parent. Um, I can get incredibly obsessed with the gospel. But there are times when I think the last two people in the world that I want to be obsessed with the gospel are my kids. Because that's the kind of stuff that messes them up. They need to be barging, get in the front of the line, at the front of the school. To, to you know, I mean, the, the, the gospel really works itself against some of the things that we find instinctive in life. Great point. Other things, other, and this could be really mundane questions. You might be asking yourself, should I be in a relationship? If I am, how much of my life should that fit? If you're having kids, it might be, should we have one or two or 72? I mean, you know, what, whatever you're describing in life. What, so, questions? I think even what is loving, I know I want to be loving towards my family, but I don't always know what that means. I don't know, like... You know, my dad said something this week that offended me, and I'm not sure if I should confront him on that. I'm not sure if I should let this one drop out of, you know, just whatever. I don't like. I want. I know I want to be loving, but I don't always know how to do that. So love is complicated, right? I mean, Sarah is pointing out how many people would honestly say, you know, there are times when I don't know how to love either my heritage or the family that I came from. Because loving them might be stepping into a system that's unhealthy for me, or I, how, how much do you love people who refuse to be reconciled? And some of you may have people that just will not reconcile to your life. Uh, I'm in that category, probably a few others. So, great point. Other questions, dilemmas? Sure, Trigger. I think kind of the dilemma that actually probably relates to that is relationships you can find that you have competing competing visions for what maybe like what matters and how it matters and how things maybe should be done or not done and I'm not even talking about competing visions of big grand world views as much as like just in the day to day life stuff it's just you might think things should be done like this and they're thinking it should be done like that or you think that love 
really looks and acts like this, and I think it looks and acts like that. And so the thing you're not disagreeing on is loving each other, because you both would articulate that, and you both really believe that loving each other is extremely important, but you don't always share the same vision of what that even means. And, I, you know, it's, I'm not sure how to figure out how to, how to get around that, because you can go around and around on those things, and it's hard for how to break out of whatever that cycle is. But it's just, it's almost like, again, these, these competing visions, even though the language surface appears to be the same. And before you know it, you're landing back into what Ben's talking about, is what do, you, what do you speak about, and what do you let go, and what are you passionate about? I mean, all of us have probably offended somebody around the dinner table, and been offended around the dinner table within the last three or four days, much less as a, a norm or pattern in life. And so it's a great point. Other questions, dilemmas that we face relationally, uh, trying to live together as friends, as family, as church, as people. Oh, what comes up to me when you when you mention that I have a friend or a couple of names, they were both of them were my friends, and then they just recently got divorced. And so the dilemma I find myself is when I'm loving towards one, I might not look loving towards the other because I support both of them. And um, so that I don't I don't even know what to do with that. So when you're not the one who's not in reconciliation, you still have a complex world of how do you relate to people who aren't reconciled with each other. Marriage, divorce, probably some of you have family members who don't speak to each other. Uh, and, and, and these things are very, very complicated because you're in a landscape where people are watching what you do. Absolutely. It's a great point, Chad. Other questions, dilemmas. We're not going to cover them all, but I'm, I'm just curious what's on your mind. This weekend, uh, Denise and I were with a friend of hers who had lost her mom recently, and so all of us have lost our mothers, as, as I know, uh, Tim, you have. And, and just thinking about how certain things that we don't want to have happen to us will sometimes put us in a, a group of people. And we were just talking about how it's strange to be in a room where some people have not experienced any loss at all in terms of death. And sometimes you can feel really strange. Um, that you've been through something like that and other people, you know, it doesn't seem to have affected them much. And so I think I was talking about that with Kenny this afternoon as we we're setting up that certain kinds of loss put you in a certain category and they can make it harder in some ways to relate to people. And then sometimes you can be closer to people for no reason except they've been through the same loss that you've been through. So... We don't share the same experiences. We gather and we gather every week at this table, but we're different people. You have wounds that I have never thought about, and I have ones that maybe you've not experienced. We, we live in different life situations. Let me give you a little tiny list. You, you've said these things, but I was thinking all week of what are kind of some of the, the issues that we face, and you've said these. Like, Gail, it may have been you who said this, the issue of self-protection versus boundaries. I mean, self-protection is generally an unhealthy thing. I see this pastorally. People who are constantly protecting themselves often don't have healthy relationships. But the flip side of that is to not protect, is not to not have boundaries. So what kind of boundaries are we going to set around each other's lives? Uh, what kind of boundaries do we expect? But how do we not live as constantly protective people? And anybody who's worked with somebody who's had some sort of violence done against them, that you understand how deep a draw self-protection is because you know things can go wrong. Here's another challenge. 
How do we embrace individuality in community? Several of you have said this very honestly in premarital counseling where you've said, okay, I'm getting married. This is an all-in kind of thing. But does that mean my personhood stops at the altar, so to speak? Or if not, how is it expressed? Are we always a we? And of course, every one of you who's in a relationship or been in a relationship knows that sometimes it doesn't feel like we. That's a very big one. Uh, another challenge is vulnerability. How, how vulnerable are we going to be as persons? And when you are vulnerable, how much manipulation and abuse are you going to set yourself up to do? Another challenge we face is this idea of, let's pick some icons in our culture, like family and marriage. Um, at, at what point do those things become idols? That we, we literally hold those up as the most important thing in the world. And at what point can we disdain them such that they're not significant or missional? And we're not looking at our relationships and saying, what can happen because we're friends? Or what can happen because we're colleagues? Or what can happen because we're married? And so there's this treacherous balance to move from that step to saying that this is the be-all and end-all of life. Uh, one of the things that I think Dan's going to hit a little bit next week is the whole economics of this. But at what level do we live in the balance between wealth accumulation? It's kind of like those, you know, I love those commercials that say, uh, like Smith Barney or others, they always have somebody like on a sailboat. Does anybody sail? I think that's like the icon. Like, you know, if you follow us, you'll be sailing. <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of like, I don't think there's anything I could do <laughs> that you would suggest that would have me sailing anytime soon. But how much do you live according to some sort of wealth accumulation? But then on the flip side, how does one like balance your responsibilities? Let's say Jenny just freaks out tonight and she says, I just am not generous enough. And Jenny's a very generous person. But what if she decides I'm going to give away 99.9% .9 of all I have on the spot. And then the mortgage company shows up the next week and says, Jenny, we love your house and it's going to be ours in about six months unless you make a payment. So how do we balance those things? And then one of the things several of you guys alluded to is the idea of multiple communities. If we were just talking about one community, this might be challenging. How many fairly intimate communities are, are most of you in? Like, you know, give me a one, two, three, four, five, or how, how many communities are you a part of? Family, extended family, work, neighborhood, school, I mean, all of those things. We, we have multiple communities. And so how do we multiply this language in all of those different spaces? Now, what are the communities that our culture holds up to us the most? What, where is our salvation going to come from? Uh, here's my quick reaction to that. Technology. Somebody somewhere is figuring it out. But now that I know Luke, I feel better about this one because I feel like Luke's figuring that out for me uh, somewhere. But technology, job or vocation, we've been nurtured to find a deep sense of meaning in our vocations or family. Um, and in some ways, this American church that we live in, this is what Krista's talking about a little bit in her song, has been set up in this crazy inverse relationship that basically says, here's a trade-off. Give us a little time, maybe volunteer a little bit. Give us a little money, 
Um, and we will honor that and, and maybe meet our, you know, and this is me speaking, uh, kind of my vocation of saying, hey, if you could like let a few of my goals come true so I can feel good about myself, that little exchange, here's what we'll give to you back. Um, we'll help you network and get a job. I mean, the people that you'll go to church with are probably going to be impressive people and you'll get ahead by being here in the first place or we'll support your family such that if you've come here with the mindset that my family is the center of the universe, we're happy for that. We'll support that as long as you toss in a little volunteers of money and honor maybe to the people that are a part of this or maybe we'll help you. I mean, forget Match.com or what is Christian Mingle anyway? I mean, how, I don't know what that... I, I want to sign up for that just to find out what happens. I'm, I'm going to do that at some point. Uh, but, but what is that? Because we'll help you find the perfect spouse. I mean, we're, we're good at that. We'll, we can figure that out for you. Uh, and, and, and guess what? Even just here, we will drop some management principles on you as a part of church life Despite the fact that this is the most dysfunctional place on earth that will work beautifully in your academic department or in your business or in your family. Uh, these are the kind of exchanges that unfortunately have become normative in the American church. And it's backwards. Uh, the real way of thinking about it missionally is to say, let's engage God's story. Let's make that. Let's look at all of our institutions and ask, how do they help us engage God's story rather than tolerating a little bit of revolution? to fit into our life, so to speak. So it's challenging. It's very challenging. Well, tonight I wanted us to start working on this a little bit. And here's a potential theme for this, is using our language of binding and loosing. See if you can wrap your brain around this. How can we be appropriately bound and loosed in our community lives, meaning families, uh, networks of friends, our work lives. What obligations are we letting go of and what ones are we embraced? How do we live in that way so that we can be, and the key word here is appropriately, bound and loosed in God's community? So how do we balance our binding and loosing, our obligations our responsibilities in the community of faith with all of our other relational responsibilities. So here's what I want to do. If Keenan, will you help me and pass out um, that, those pieces of paper right there? Just kind of, so I, I want us to do a little art project tonight that, that might create a little bit of a grid to think about this. And then Dan is going to pick this up. So just maybe not one at a time. How about like a big lump of them and get those going around there? <laughs> And then somebody else, Sarah, would you help me? Um, you're going to need like a crayon or an art pen here. I don't know how many of these are working, but I'll, Jenny, you want to start those around here? So grab something that lets you write or draw. And for those of you who are getting these first, and remember the artistic part of this, this can be like, uh, I don't. I, 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 this can be like a Dan. You guys have seen Dan teach. I've been in classrooms with Dan. Dan is the master of the goofy bad stick figure, uh, and you can do that. Or if you're a truly artistic person, this can be something that just goes on the website. Uh, um, and if you're like a really really scientific person, figure out all the statistics stuff on the other side of your sheet. But for most of us, that'll be uh, a bridge too far. Um, so here's what I want you to do. On the top one-third of this, I want you to draw some sort of balancing mechanism. Um, that could be a seesaw, a judge's scales, something that, that 
operates on balance. So draw something up there that reminds you of the give and take, because we're kind of in this language of binding and loosing. What are we letting go of? What are we holding on to? And those things are always kind of in a balanced kind of tension. So start by drawing. I'll give you like 30 seconds to do this. It's like Pictionary. Draw some sort of like balancing mechanism at the top of your sheet. And once you do this, we're going to talk about some things that will balance. Did everybody get a pen or a crayon? Chad, you know all about this. I mean, you ride a unicycle. You, this is like, that could actually be the thing that's on the top of this for you. be a teeter-totter. That's another, what's, you know, kind of like a, yeah. So there's got to be a little bit of show and tell. Who's got a picture they can share with us of a balancing mechanism? Probably Dave Thiessen has one. Are you a person on a Segway? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. If you balance, like, technological innovation with looking like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) See, we can get abstract on this. Absolutely. Somebody else, what did you draw on the top? Did you really? Fantastic. Did somebody else say something? I'm sorry. Okay, look at your photo. Look at your picture, your balance thing, whatever it is. Now, I want to talk about some things just in listening to us through the last several weeks that we might need to balance. So on the bottom here, either write this out like this or this, or make pictures of this. But this is just a reminder. I want you to see how many things we have to balance as a part of trying to live out this binding and loosing revolutionary community life that that Jesus is talking about. Here's, Here's one. Is balancing... Big story, meta story, with local or small story. Let me give you an example of what out of balance looks like. Big story or small story. How many people have had, been in a situation, I've watched this happen, where I've seen somebody go up to somebody who had a sick child. In, the, in one case, I'm thinking of a, a, a mom. Uh, think about how horrible this would have had a daughter who had leukemia, right? And somebody came up to this person and said, you know, God is healing the world. God is redeeming the world. Now, you're the mom here. What are you thinking? Why not my daughter? If we're like getting Ben Haas honest, what we're thinking? Yeah, you're close enough to punch. You know, if I mean, like if I really just kind of get my right lead out there, I could put you down. So that's an example of somebody who needs to really think about the small story of how is God operating in this locality, not the grand story of what God is doing in the world or earth. But we all know people who are out of balance in the other way. They come and they are so unable to get out of their own small story that they can't see anything generative, anything gracious. So that's one thing that you have to balance. That's kind of a theological, all these are theological, but how do we balance the big story 
and the small story. We say this all the time as we're studying text together, that it's sometimes you can't read the big story in the story, and sometimes you can't read the small story in the things that God is doing in the Scriptures. Balance number two. Some of you know this very well. The balance between rest and play and service. Think about somebody as you draw this one who's incredibly out of balance. It might be you in those things. We all know someone who serves all the time, but has no... And and the idea is, we've talked about this, several of us offline on this, that rest and play are deeply theological, regenerative concepts. In fact, the whole notion of Sabbath is partially based on the idea of being recreated, of, of being at play, at rest in the world. So that's another balance. And some of you probably have a, are, understand you might struggle with one of those two. Okay, here's a third balance. Can you write this out or draw it? The balance between challenge and embrace. An issue here is how well are you known? How vulnerable are you? And, and what I mean by this is, is this a circumstance where you or someone needs to entirely embrace another person? Or do you need to challenge them? And I bet all of you have been in really complicated situations like that where you might have a friend who you think is struggling with alcohol and you don't want to come across as the judgmental, maybe you're struggling with alcohol person, but you also don't want to buy the, the eighth round that evening. You understand that it's, it's over the edge. So challenge and embrace. And that may be writ large in relationship or it might be specifically to you. Do you need to be embraced more? Because some of you have grown up in family circumstances where the tape recorder on your shoulder is something like this. You're not really good enough. You don't really measure up. No matter what you try to do, it isn't always good enough. And mom and dad and I are so deeply disappointed that you're such a partial failure. Some of you have that tape recorder. And you need to be embraced. And some of you might have the other, where you just don't ever get challenged. Here's a fourth balance. The individual and the community. How do you balance responsibilities for yourself and your engagement in the community? Fifth area of balance. This is the last one. Giving voice and allowing voice. So what do you need to be speaking about? Um, To some degree, Krista, your song tonight was a speaking. It wasn't a imposing, but you were up late one night and you were frustrated and you were at odds and your gift is to speak in a way that a lot of other people listen to it. And so you gave voice to an angst that you experienced that became a song. But the balance to that as well is when do, what voices are we silencing? What voices are we not letting be spoken? Now, here's the only advice I have for you. I thought this would be helpful to think about these five kind of big back and forths. But here's something I think is really significant and it's lost sometimes in community is that it might be important to think about which balance you need to work on first, right? 
Because you can't work on everything at the same time. But all of us might have some sense of a, a point of balance. Like, let me take a flyer on this. When I say that, did any of you come to, did any of those five things jump up in your mind and say, this is the thing that I probably need to struggle with most? Now, I'm not saying everybody should do this, but for me, it might, this whole idea of binding and loosing might be significant in this realm. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible challenge because we all have ways that we like to do things. And the irony is, if you're married, you probably married somebody who was on the opposite side of that. That tends to be pretty normal, so to speak. But yeah, it's a great one, Ben. Another thing that may have jumped out is you, at you as something that might be your critical balance area to look at. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but it's kind of fun. Giving versus allowing is really a personal tough one, but it's the community at large. Society allowing someone to give something to you is difficult. It's difficult to accept a gift in a way that is truly accepting because I think to some degree call that weakness almost to say, well, you couldn't really do this yourself. Let me do it for you. Um, and, you know, everybody probably has different backgrounds with that, but if you grow up in a, you know, a school system that says, all right, you got to get number one. You don't accept help. You go get it yourself or in sports and all those sorts of things. You don't accept stuff. It's, it's a doggy dog world type of thing. You're going to be able to shave yourself. So, <coughs> I that is a very difficult one for the community to we're, we're good at giving but not allowing people to give to us. I thought, Dave, the exact same thing. When I thought about this question in terms of Emmaus Way, I thought, you know, we're, this is a really generous community. And it's kind of unique because it's a young community. And I'm not sure that generosity is the thing that we've always been taught at university level or on the sports team or in a music competition. So for you guys, as I look at you, that feels, you feel odd in that way in that generosity seems to be really normal for this community. But as several people said to me this week, receiving can be really hard for us, Right? In some ways, kind of saying, I can't pull this off. I need you to step beside me and help me out. That, that might be a challenging thing for our community. Anybody else on that? Yeah, I, I think I thought of the, the big story, small story one, and it, it partially has to do with this, uh, this multiple communities idea that you were talking about earlier. Um, it's the, not that I'm trying to figure out how my small story fits into a sort of a monolithic bigger story, but I'm constantly being conscripted into a multiplicity of bigger stories, and I'm trying to figure out what, what each of those things looked like on the ground, sort of within my uh, vocational context, within my relational context. So, you know, what does it mean for me to be a person? who's involved in academia, who is interested in politics, who and who's interested in the gospel uh, in the way that I 
go to the grocery store and the way that I, uh, you know, interact with people in my home and the way that I spend my money and my time. There's so many different stories that I want to sort of live into, and uh, and they don't always have to be mutually exclusive. But I think we have a lot of narrative vying for our attention in that way. Sure. The reason I wanted you to kind of write these out or draw them out tonight uh, is I wanted you to walk away tonight holding something, just some sort of goofy reminder of these five tension or balance areas. And here's what I'd love for us to do with this is if, if it fits into life in your home groups or pub group or the perspectives, any of those things, find space to talk about the balances that are challenging to you. And, and, and this might help you. Is if you've got a big decision, like I've talked to several of you this year about big decisions, graduate school, maybe here or somewhere else, um, stick around, take a job, not take a job, um, pursue a relationship, not pursue a relationship. I mean, these are big, big decisions. And one of the things that I think tends to happen is that we often don't connect the very specific decisions that we face with the kind of balances that we need to be wary of. I know um, I could tell you, um, kind of, I could go old on you right now and share a million stories on things that either Mimi and I or as a family or I personally have agonized with because there's a certain aspect of these balances that are just not they're not easy for me. I know we agonized for 10 years whether to, to try to have children or not because that seemed like an incredibly out of control type of thing that didn't seem to fit into the kind of control that we want. I mean, so there's all kinds of decisions that you might face that, that you want to connect to these kind of balance areas. And I want to remind you of one other thing. It's something that we don't, we do it all the time, but we don't know that we always do this all the time, is that we don't realize that we're always living in a context of spiritual discernment. Uh, in fact, as a pastor, and there are people in this community who do this, but one of the things that I always have loved through the years is people that say, I'm struggling with this, and I have no idea what to do with this. Um, and, and if you can put yourself in a situation where you're vulnerable enough with a few people of what you struggle with in terms of relationality in your life and let yourself be open to the feedback of, of people's voice in your life, you'll be amazed at what people see. I know I play a game. Like how many times have you done this where you've tripped coming up the stairs? And the first thing that goes in my mind is, Surely no one saw that. Right? But what's the reality? <laughs> Everybody saw it, right? Um, and so to some degree, people are deeply aware of our lives, much more so than we know. And when you have surrounded yourself relationally with people who love you, there's a deep amount of feedback that can be available to you. I mean, even sitting in this circle, one of the most painful things I think I ever did is before Mayus Way started, I had a big big job offer, one that I had probably worked for two years to get. And I was so, it was the job, it was like somebody imagined a job that I would be really good at 
and get lots of notoriety for, and they would pay me some decent money to do it. I mean, I wanted that job so much, I think I walked around drooling for about three or four months. Um, but there was some dis-ease about that. And so um, some, somebody sat down with me and said, what if you, in an old Quaker tradition, got 20 friends? And said, and that's not typically what we do with jobs, especially when those 20 people work or live, go to the church that you work at and say, I've got a job offer. And, and so we had two meetings in our living room with 20 friends, and we talked about why I wanted to leave the job that I was in and why I wanted to go to another job. And that conversation, I caught myself constantly trying to manipulate that conversation. But these 20 friends who loved me, Denise was one of them, uh, and, um, and several others. In fact, Denise sat down with me the day before I was going to decide to go and said, wouldn't it be crazy if you did something crazy in Durham? And that's really all that she said. But I thought about it all night. Mimi said similar thing. But that was an awkward conversation with those friends because everybody said it looks great, but we don't feel great about this for you. If we were you, we would do it, but we don't feel good about it. That was a powerful voice, and I don't like that many people knowing what I'm up to. I much prefer to say, look, I wrote this. It's done. So to some degree, I want to invoke that kind of practice in, in our lives. And that's how we will work out this binding and loosing, is by speaking, by being vulnerable, by listening to people who say, maybe you're being too vulnerable, uh, by hearing people who are saying, you need to give voice to someone or you need to receive their voice. It's not perfect, but I hope tonight you might leave with just a goofy photo or drawing of, of some of these balances that we try to work out in community. And in the next two weeks, Dan is going to take us into the realm of economics next week. And in two weeks, I'm going to talk very specifically about family of origin and the families that we live in and what those look like. But wait, I think you're going to rescue us now by taking us into the realm of the big story of hope that all this fits into. Correct? Yeah, I don't know about rescue, but we're going to try to be a part of that story. Yeah. As we move into our confession and absolution, which we do a lot musically, wanted to uh, let you guys know that it, you know we don't bring songs because uh, they're necessarily uh, everyone's favorite song or because they're cool or because um, they're the only songs we think are worth doing. But we bring songs because for uh, one reason or another, something has meant something in our lives and we feel like they've either challenged us or they've encouraged us or they've brought us to a different place but we want you to feel both that you can join in the more corporate stories that are here the stories of redemption the stories of um, both being able to confess that we can't do this on our own and then corporately receive an absolution that says that we're loved and that we can laugh and hope uh, in the midst of our tears and our fears um, but uh, also I want you to know too that as we do confession absolution our benediction that these songs are songs that I would love your feedback on, that we constantly talk about these songs. It's one of the reasons why we put them on the podcast, is for people to be able to hear these and to relate to them more than just once and more than just hearing them one time. So uh, Krista's going to sing uh, Long Defeat with us, so join in.
So 
this yet, but over the course of the next two months, your lives are going to become very, very simple. That as we move and progress through this election season and as we get closer, things are going to become very clear-cut and very simple for us. We will have debates and there will be clear ideas and simple talking points about how to move forward in a very complex century. Things like unemployment will be answered with, well, I will create jobs. <laughs> Things like massive debt will be answered by, well, I will pay it back. <laughs> Our lives are going to become so simple and so clear-cut that we really won't even have to think about how to go forward. It would just be a simple, simple choice. My sense is, however, that most of our lives are much more complex than that. At the nexus of our lives are many commitments, many obligations, many choices, many communities, many people that we dearly love and many people that we are really struggling to love. I think a lot of times in Christianity we make a big mistake. We tend to think of Christianity the same way we do election politics. That there's some very simple talking points and some very clear-cut ideas, and that is what Christianity is. But you see, that is not what the heart of Christianity is. The heart of our faith 
is practice. There are some practices, some activities that we engage in together as community that we then reflect on but help us to live out the kingdom of God in our lives. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is not some simple clear-cut idea or simple talking points, but it is a practice. It is an activity. As we move to the table tonight, we are invited to practice our faith. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, who as God appeared on the world, born, crucified, and resurrected, is not just an idea, but we actually get to celebrate it, to practice it. And as we come to the table, we don't have to do that alone. But we are invited into a community of people who share that bread, who share that wine, who struggle with one another in the very complexity of what it means to live out the gospel of Jesus in this very complex world. That we get to bind one another and we also get to freely loose one another. We get to share with one another. And most importantly, we get to offer the grace of God to each other. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table saying, this is the body of Christ broken for you. We share it with one another. We also pour wine or juice for one another saying, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. We do that recognizing that as a community of folks gathered under the name of Christ, we are practicing the grace of God in the world. That's not going to be simple, but it's also something that we don't have to do alone. I'm going to invite us now to stand and sing this song of benediction, because I don't want this to necessarily be lost on us. We're going to sing a song about revolution, the canticle of the turning. It's a song that gives a vision of a different way of life, a different reality, a different practice of the kingdom. And then we as a community are going to be invited to come to the table and practice, to actively engage in that revolution and to live with one another in it. Welcome to the table. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Dan. And remember, these are the words of a girl that we think is probably a young teenager and she's uh, in a place where her country, her people are captive by another nation and where she's pregnant, doesn't really have a uh, husband yet and uh, it's amazing to me as we look at these words what is uh, attributed to her um, and this idea of revolution. So sing these joyfully.
small, my God, my all, you work great things in me. Your mercy will last from the depths, the past to the end of the age to be. Your very name puts the proud to shame, and to those who live for you yearn. You show your might, put the strong to fight, for the world is about to turn my heart. My heart shall sing of the day you bring, let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. To the fortress tower, not a stone will be left on stone. Let the king beware, for your justice tears every tyrant from his throne. The hungry poor will weep no more for the food they can never earn. Their table spread, every mouth be fed, for the world is about to turn. My heart, my heart shall sing of the day. From age to age we remember who holds us fast God's mercy must deliver us from the conqueror's crushing grasp This saving word that our forebearers heard is the promise which holds us bound Till the spear and the rod can be crushed by God who is turning the world around My heart shall sing of the day of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn my heart. And my heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to wipe away. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to serve. Welcome to the table. Thanks for being with us tonight. Mm-hmm. 